I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. All right, this is The Big Douglas Show. Rapper Big Poo is in the co-host chair. And our guest today from The Washington Post is Sam Fortier. Sam, how are you? I'm doing well. It's uh, It's been a crazy draft season with speculation, with rumors, with everything flying around. So I'm pretty happy that we're, we're about to get down to it. Who, uh, Sam might have been like the five, the fifth uh, guest I ever had on the show. And then he came back to, I don't know if you remember this or not, but he came on the show. He called in from Phoenix. He got off the plane. Uh, I guess it was a nice walk. It was during COVID. So I don't think people were taking cabs, just strolling down the uh, sidewalk, talking to me uh, about the football <laughs> game coming up. So, nice. so we always appreciate your time here on the show. Of course. I appreciate you guys having me. They uh, they signed Eric Flowers. Let's do a couple of uh, things before we get to the draft. I mean, that's obviously what we're here for. But they signed Eric Flowers today. Does the, uh, and, and at $9 million, I figured he was the preemptive starter. At $3 million, we're back to a competition. Uh, let's twofold question here. Uh, what does that mean they think of Sadiq Charles? And what does this mean about Sheriff and a possible trade going forward? Yeah, I think when I think about what this trade means, you're right. I think that reduced salary certainly minimizes the risk for Washington. You know, swap of late round picks. You get a guy that not only revived his career in Washington, but but comes in under a new coaching staff, of course. But that, that coaching staff really liked him in Carolina. They sent offensive line coach John Matsko out. Uh, to visit with him pre-draft, uh, I believe it was 2015, 2014 maybe, um, to kind of go have dinner with him. So, I mean, this this staff believes in him. I think this is more of a reflection on, uh, I would say, on Wes Schweitzer, the starting left guard from last season. Obviously, Wes Martin uh, didn't work out. They benched him, I think, in week five. Um, but to me, I, I think Sadiq Charles, what you drafted him for is to be your left tackle. And obviously, you know, he'll probably be – able to play left guard or left uh, or right guard if need be, you know, I think this does give them flexibility. Maybe they do trade Brandon Sheriff. Uh, but when you trade a friend, you know, it'd be really tough. I think trade a franchise guy like that, a, you know, a top six pick uh, has been with your franchise for so long, all pro um, it'd still be difficult to trade him, but this does give you the depth, whether it's, you know, moving flowers or Schweitzer or where you put Charles um, I just think it gives you more flexibility and especially at an inexpensive price. It's kind of like, why not? Um, I've, I've read a report today that, well, you know, you can't really believe anything right now, but I read a report today that Washington um, apparently is enamored with a player that they're willing to move up for. That's not a quarterback. What do you have any insight into not, not necessarily who they're targeting, but, if those rumors are indeed um, kind of true. Yeah, I think it's, it's tough to say, right. Cause, cause the draft season is lying season, but I think another thing is like when we talk about enamored or the reports that are, Oh, you know, comes out like, Oh, Washington loves this player. Like we, we've heard that about Davis mills, right. Or we've heard that about Micah Parsons, the linebacker out of Penn state. And to me, it's like, well, what does that mean? Have they been calling more, checking up on him? Have they been, you know, using their five zooms that they had with him. Um, because I do think, you know, teams always like players at certain values, right? Like when I think back, 
you know, not to, not to bring up Tom Brady, you know, who, who I know is a polarizing figure, but like, I think the, the people misunderstand that lesson um, because to me, it was the Patriots thought he should have been a third round pick and they picked him at, in the sixth round just because they thought he was such good value. So Washington might love Micah Parsons, but like, you know, is the value there to go up and get him at, at 13 at 14 or, or would they be reticent to do so unless he fell to 19? So um, to directly answer your question, like, Certainly that Washington loves a lot of players. I think they love a lot of non quarterbacks and, and might they be willing to go up and get him if they think that guy is, is a, a Sam or a will linebacker. You can plug and play for the next four to five years, like a Micah Parsons or uh, like a Jeremiah Owusu um, Kamara. Like maybe those are the type of guys they're talking about, but um, I think it's just all about value. And, and I think it will be hard to trade up this year certainly because of the way San Francisco set the market by going from 12 to three and giving up a future first and a third. I mean, that just sets the market at a really high price. So you got to be thinking to yourself, what is going to be worth it? And, and I, and, and I just, you know, I, I have a hard time seeing it, but at the same time, you know, things change on draft night. Uh, this is year two with Rivera and certainly you guys don't get nearly the access that you're used to. How have you found it trying to navigate the new front office, particularly since two, new, two of the members are, are brand new, uh, trying to figure out what it is they like to do? Because I mean, let's face it, even last year in the first round, everybody knew what the pick was the day the season ended. So how have you guys found getting to know this new coaching or front office staff? Yeah, and I would say even you know beyond – Martin Mayhew and Marty Herney, Chris Polian, he's new right. as well. There's, you know, there's, there's a really a lot of new pieces. And to me, you know, getting to know them has been tough. We, we really haven't talked to anyone besides uh, Mayhew twice and, and, and Herney once. Um, and I think that's by design, you know, Ron Rivera is the, is the one voice as Dan Snyder would say of, of this team. And I think that uh, that to me is the biggest question of this draft. I, I, to me, it matters less of, do you move up unless you trade up for a quarterback? I think the personnel moves that are going to be made in the draft are less important than how they get made. Ron Rivera has said he will listen to his, his front office in, in terms of Mayhew and Herney and Polian and Stokes and all those guys. But, you know, it's, 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 it's very easy to say that to us in a press conference, but it's hard to do it on draft night when you've got one half of the room that wants one guy and one half of the room wants the other guy can Ron Rivera balance those, you know, can he balance those voices? Can he have a good process behind these decisions? You can weather misses in the draft. Uh, but if your process is broken, I think that's, or if your process doesn't go as well as you think it will, or you hope it will, that's a much bigger concern to me. So even beyond our relationships, you know, it, it is harder to get to know these guys, right? Cause we just don't see them. Ron Rivera is, is by design that one guy that's putting information out. Or, or ideally he, he wants to be the one putting the one person putting information out for this organization. Not only is it harder to get to know them, but I do think it's, it's harder maybe to understand their dynamics and, and that to me, their dynamics, how they arrive at these decisions that they're going to make over the next few days in the draft. That's the most important thing. I always wonder for persons covering the team uh, last year and this year, and if they covered the team a year or two prior What's like, how has the drastic change for y'all, like having leaks, all types of information leaking out to now you get nothing. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to get any information. Not only have you not had the access to the front office and the coaching staff, 
due to COVID, but now you don't even get those leaks anymore. Like, how has that been for, for you guys? Well, I think there's always, you know, ways to, to find out information. And, and last year was my first year covering the Washington football team. So, um, but, but before that, I did cover the, the L.A. Chargers. So I, I certainly have, have been around the NFL and, and kind of can speak to kind of the, the culture of information. I think there's always different ways in, right? Like, even though you don't have um, act, direct access maybe to coaches and other people, I think there's always people who, who understand what's going on and can kind of give you a better clue. I think if you go back and look at the, the Dwayne Haskins situation when that initially happened, I think, you know, there are ways to find out, okay, Ron said that uh, – he wanted to pursue the division title and he, he wanted to, you know, kind of prioritize experience. And that's why they went with Kyle. But, you know, if you dig in and you talk to enough people that, you know, um, you find out maybe Dwayne wasn't working as hard as, as, you know, people would have hoped. And, and I, I don't mean to focus on Dwayne or disparage Dwayne here, but basically it's, it's, you know, there, there are certainly uh, fewer leaks from the building, especially with the new staff, especially with a coach that wants to kind of solidify his place and kind of set the status quo. But, uh, you know, there's always ways, I think, to find out uh, the information that, that helps fans understand, hey, this is the reality of what's going on, but maybe behind, you know, closed doors. Uh, I'm curious, Sam, I think a lot of fans were thinking that left tackle at 19 was maybe like a real big need. But if, if you're suggesting maybe that you know, I was thinking they gave Charles his snaps at left guard and that's where they saw him. But you're suggesting they hope at least he could play left tackle. Do you think that will affect the way they draft in the first round? Hmm. I do think they have candidates at left tackle, whether or not Jerron Christian showed enough to get a second chance. I think Cornelius Lucas was obviously mm -hmm. a pleasant surprise. I think, you know, you could probably roll with him at stopgap. I do think they, they I do think they drafted Sadiq Charles with the idea that he would play left tackle. Um, I think you had to give Jerron Christian a chance to show what he could do. Um, but you know what Cornelius Lucas is, and, and you don't know what Sadiq is because Ron has talked about those two snaps he played against the Giants. He liked those two snaps, but obviously that's just not a large enough sample size to bank on a guy. So I, I think it's all about value. You know, if Christian Derisaw is there at 19, maybe that's the pick. Maybe you like uh, someone else. Uh, maybe you want to go interior uh, with the kid out of USC, uh, Vieira Tucker. Uh, you know, I think it's all about value at 19. They do need to get better on the offensive line. But I think the thing that I say when I say I do think Sadiq Charles is going to get a chance at left tackle, and I do believe that strongly, um, is that they, they just want to get better on the line, period. And however that presents itself, first round, second round, guard, tackle, um, I, I think they, that's what they want to do. But I don't think it would – necessarily have a direct impact on on what they do at 19 i don't think they'll overdraft someone just because i've been an advocate of if their guy the guy they absolutely want isn't there at 19 that they do trade back you know not not out the first round but they do trade back do you believe there's any chance of that happening yeah i think it's it's unlikely right because um their two biggest needs offensive line and, and off-ball linebacker um, it, it, they're both pretty deep in this draft. They're, I mean, at 19, definitely those are both in range. Uh, but I do think it's possible. And I think that especially when we talk about this draft, there's so much uncertainty, right? Like uh, with the opt-outs, with COVID, with everything, you know, no combine. This draft is, is going to be unique because last year, you know, early COVID draft, um, you, you had all the tape. You had all the measurables that you needed. I think teams, there's going to be a lot 
you know, people are saying there's going to, there's a lot of variance on these boards. There's not a, you know, a, a list of like 40, 50 guys you'd expect to go in the first round this year. It's much larger. Teams are much further apart. And so I think you are going to see the higher propensity to trade down, especially trade for next year's picks when you're going to have a better chance, a, a theoretically a deeper class as well uh, with all those kids who, who got extra waivers who are going to come out. So um, I think there's, I think a lot of teams are going to want to trade down, but it's, what's that market? If a lot of teams are trying to trade down, maybe um, it, it actually becomes inefficient to trade down. So Yes, I, I see it's possible they could trade down. I think it's unlikely considering everything else at play. But if they did, I mean, and they get some extra picks, I think like when you look at historical studies of the draft, more bites at the apple is a never a bad thing. Real quick, a follow-up on that one. What do you think is more likely than a trade up or a trade down? I think it's likelier that they trade up. And when I say that, I mean, I think it's likelier that the, that the quarterback they like could fall. Um, they could try to go up and, and, and get him, whether that be Trey Lance, whether that be Justin Fields or whomever. Uh, and I think that's likelier. It's likelier that they trade up, but I wouldn't be surprised by a trade down. It's probably the best way to put that. I have uh, long been on the Jeremy Reeves uh, train. Now, I know that Morg from TCU is starting to get more and more buzz as the pick at 19. Where does the coaching staff stand on Reeves, and do you think they're looking for a replacement? Yeah, that's a, a good question. We know that Chris Harris likes uh, Jeremy Reeves just because of, you know, the latitude he got in those last three games, you know, those three starts down the stretch. Um, I think it says something that they didn't go to him right away. They went to DeShazer Everett, I think, probably because, you know, he's got his bet in this system. You know, he's, he's been here for three years, even though he's primarily a strong they thought, okay, you know, when we're going to bench Apke, we're going to go to DeShazer. So, you know, it's, it's, I think that illustrates that they might not love Jeremy Reeves, but I mean, I think he played well down the stretch and I think he at least earned a chance to compete for the job in camp. So to me, it's like, he gives you a decent floor, but they probably want that ceiling to be higher. So I think that they would upgrade if they had the chance. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to my guy in a second. I know, Doug know who I'm talking about as soon as I say the position group. But I've I've watched this offseason and I've seen Washington not do much at the tight end position. And I know they're not obviously Kyle Pitts is the guy in the first round, but after that, are are they going to be targeting tight end in this draft? Because right now I believe they just have Logan Thomas and uh Bauer on, on the roster. Ball, ball. Yeah, okay. I'm screwing his name all up. Ball on the roster. They have to be targeting the tight end. They they have to have their and a pretty good idea of, of who they're looking at in the later rounds, you you think. Yeah, I, I'm I'm hesitant to say this, right? Because I thought last draft they had to go get a tight end because they had only signed Logan Thomas, right? Like it, I'm a little bit wary to say they they need him, but I do agree with you. Like when you look at tight end snaps across the league, the only guy who really was two-way, you know, blocking and pass catching and playing as many snaps as Logan Thomas, 93%, was Travis Kelsey. And he wasn't taking as, you know, he wasn't taking as many body blows because they would line them all, all up over the formation, right? So um, to me, Logan Thomas is going to be 30 this year. Your usage of him is, is crazy high. You don't, th you know, you can't bank on Marcus Baugh taking the leap that, that Logan Thomas did. So yes, I, I think that they should, you know, maybe go out and get a tight end, but I'm sure like, tight ends coach Pete Hayner is like Samus Reyes started playing football two months ago. I can have this guy looking, uh, 
looking pretty good <laughs> in no time. But no, I, I'm kidding. He, he, you can't rely on him. Um, I think to, to be a legitimate role player this year. So when I think about tight ends, you're not going to get Kyle Pitts, as you said. Um, but the two guys that I look at, maybe second, third, fourth round, um, earlier side, uh, Pat Fryermuth at a Penn State. That's a name that sticks out to me. And Hunter Long at a Boston College. Those two guys, inline receiver threats, guys that um, could maybe stretch the field a little bit, you know, do some good things in that Eric Coriel-based offense, Scott Turner runs. Um, but but neither of those guys are are super impressive. It's not a strong tight end class. So while I agree with you, it seems like they got to do something. Uh, as we know from the past, that doesn't necessarily mean they feel like they have to do something. Gotcha. Nobody likes mentioning my guy, Tommy Tremble. <laughs> he has loads of untapped potential. I'm telling people he, he's going to be. I'm not saying he's going to be a Gronkowski, but he's going to be very. He's going to be better in the pro game than he was in the college game. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Sam, the uh, the defense played a ton of four two five last year with safeties on the field. It's kind of why we got some Cam Curl action, right? Because they were playing him. So I guess I'm trying to get to what most people want to know now, which is what are we doing with the safeties strong side if Landon Collins comes back to full health? Will it just be more four two five? And I guess the follow up on that is where is Holcomb at? Because then you really only need two linebackers. Yeah, so I think uh, – let, let me start with the safeties first. Uh, the strong safety position, you know, as you pointed out, you have a, a logjam there with, with Cam Curl and, and a healthy Landon Collins. And I, I like what Lewis Riddick said earlier this offseason to my colleague Nikki Javala. He said Cam Curl did nothing last season where you say he can't be on the field. That guy has to play. He has to be out there. And so when you start talking about Landon Collins, yes, he's got a huge cap hit, cap, cap hit excuse me. Uh, you've got to keep him on the field, right? So, uh, so does he move down to linebacker? And, and we know, you know, Landon Collins posts on Instagram, it's not happening, my guy, uh, his move to linebacker. But Ron Rivera, when asked, was Landon speaking for the team or was he speaking for Landon? He said that was Landon. So – I think we could see Landon Collins move to linebacker. I don't think it's happening for sure. I think the timing of his rehab is going to affect this. If he gets back in time for training camp, say, uh, do you give him a chance to compete for that starting safety job? Or do you, you know, make it more of a 50-50? Or do you automatically transition him down? Versus if he comes back in week four, per se, if, if Cam Curl solidified there, you know, it's a real tough ask to say, hey, this defense, if it's playing well, to, to kind of shake things up. So then, you know, Landon's put at a disadvantage. So I think it, it, that it depends on his recovery. It depends on how things look in, in camp. Um, at linebacker, um, to me, it was notable that Ron Rivera in his, in his pre-draft press conference said that they're, you know, they're still planning on using uh, those three linebackers, right? The Mike, Sam, and Will. And he pointed out, I think John, uh, John Bostic is expected to, to be the Mike. And then he said, basically, Cole can play Sam or Will, Will being a little bit more downhill, Sam being a little bit more coverage. And so he said that that flexibility gives them flexibility in the draft to say, oh, okay, uh, Zavin Collins is more of a Will, so we can take him at 19. Or Jeremiah Owasu Kamara is more of a, a Sam, we can take him. So he was emphasizing the flexibility of that roster now, um, gives them uh, – gives them obviously a little bit more uh, 
leeway in the draft because you're right. You know, when they play that four two five, when they go two linebackers, if you have a guy like Cam Curl or you have a guy like Cole Holcomb, where you say, okay, he can maybe even play that nickel. Not, not that Cole would play that nickel, but in certain sub packages, you know, he could, he could be a defensive back. Um, I think that's what you'd like to do. And you'd like to give yourself that flexibility. So that's why I think Jeremiah Wosu tomorrow makes so much sense is because if you go four two five or if you're in base, Wilson Kamara could play slot corner or he could play that outside linebacker like he did at Notre Dame. You know, he's a little bit smaller, 6'1", 220. But uh, I think that positional flexibility, especially in today's NFL, especially against modern tight ends, um, you know, this is an original take. This is not an original take, but uh, it makes a ton of sense to me. I'm interested, you know, after the draft, after, you know, the roster shakes out, what is the expectations for this franchise for uh, Ron Rivera's second season? Is it, you know, I, I think they were ch- altered a little bit with the, you know, the the win, the win of the division and, and the showing in the playoffs. But is with year two, is this more of a, a eight and well, it's not eight and eight now with the extra game, but is this more like a close to 500 field team or is there expectations to say, no, we want the division again? Like where, where is the expectations for this team uh, currently? Yeah. And I would be curious to know what you guys think, to be honest about that, because uh, to me and, and, and to that coaching staff, obviously winning every game, winning the division, that's the expectation every year. That's the culture that Ron Rivera wants to instill. But I think when you look at last year, not only in, in their record, but also in how the division played out, you got to view last year as a, in my opinion, as a happy, you know, pop-off, a surprise, uh, you know, hey, you know, this this playoff game gave them a lot of good experience, especially against Tom Brady and the Bucs, um, and, and giving them a good game was nice, but that's just, that's experience, that's seasoning for for your team when you, when you get them where you want to go, because until they have a franchise quarterback, I don't think you can expect them to, to be a serious contender uh, for, for anything beyond you know, a, a division title like it was last year. So uh, to me, especially, you know, you're playing all division winners from last year, your schedule is going to be really tough. Um, I think around 500 is, is where you want to be. Um, you know, getting a, a big marquee upset win over a, over a New Orleans, over a Buffalo, over some of those, you know, those bigger time teams uh, that you're playing now, like being close in every game. I think that's the expectation, but at the end of the year, about 500 considering everything is, is probably where I'd expect them to be. Um, but again, I'd be curious to hear your guys' thoughts. Cause I think what the fan base thinks of, of this coming year um, is going to be a real key into understanding how their actual performance is, is kind of dictates whether the fan base maybe buys a little bit more back in or whether it's, it's seen as a disappointment. Um, for me, I'm, I'm around 500. I, I still look at this as year two in a rebuild in a, in like a three year rebuild. Uh, I believe the defense is going to be top 10 again, uh, even better than last year. The question mark falls on the offense. Um, first, is, are we going to get Ryan Fitzpatrick or Ryan Fitzmagic? Uh, that, that's always, and then for how long? Because he doesn't normally sustain for a year, uh, a full season. Um, and then just how, how the offensive line shakes out, how much Antonio Gibson has improved the tight end, how does the wide receiver, you know, how does uh, Scott Turner look in his second year as coordinator? So I, I, I'm, I'm thinking around 500-ish, uh, 
you know, in that range. Like I said, for me, this is still year two of the rebuild. We just were in a division where nobody wanted to win the division last year. Somebody had to win it, and we ended up being the team that won it. But there's still a rebuild happening. This is still a young team for the most part. And, you know, now they have a different front office to go with the different coaching staff that they had last season. So I'm still, like I said, I'm still looking at this as year two of a three-year rebuild. So around 500 is where I expect them to be. Yeah, nine and eight seems right. Nine and eight. Uh, I mean, Fitzpatrick was going to take Miami to the playoffs last year if they didn't yank him for two. I mean, that's just, that's kind of how he, how he is. So he put a, uh, what was the defense last year? Top 10 to get into the top five. Um, You have a premier wide receiver. But you make a great point. Antonio Gibson was learning on the fly how to play running back. I mean, you saw him, they couldn't hit holes. And um, what I think is amazing, the coaching staff job they did, I think we had Evan Silva on a month and a half ago who said the league didn't even think that J.D. McKissick was going to get picked up. Like he was just going to be out on the street. And he was fantastic last year. Um, And so, yeah, if the line plays well, I don't see why nine and eight isn't realistic. The, The Eagles, I can't imagine, are going to be very good. I don't really know what to expect with the Giants. And, I mean, if the Cowboys are going to give up 40 points a game, then, you know. Good <laughs> They're definitely going to be giving up 40 points again. Yeah. again. <laughs> Sam, what's going on with uh, the John Allen extension? Yeah, uh, that is a uh, that's a good question. I think that, uh, you know, we obviously we haven't uh, seen any concrete talks, uh, you know, or, or any uh, reports about uh, where they're at. I think, you know, when you're talking about John Allen, you, you got to think, one, how is my how, how is, how is my payment of the, you know, if, if you're in the front office, how does our contract with John Allen line us up to sign Montez sweat in 2024 and, and chase young in 2025? Um, let me, let me not cut, let me cut you off real quick, just because I, I heard what happened there. And I just want to make sure this is, you said that because at some point they have to trade Deron Payne, right? John Allen's the one they'll keep. Deron Payne will be the one that's let go. Is, is that your thought on that? Because there's no way they can pay all four of them. Yeah, there's no way they can pay all four. I don't know if you need to trade one per se. Um, I mean, it's impossible to keep all four. Uh, I think it's probably impossible to keep the two interior guys if you want to keep the two edge rushers, unless Payne or Allen takes a, a, you know, I think what would for them would probably be a below market deal. We're talking 10, 11, 12 million dollars, you know, in APY. I think both those guys would want more than that. I think they see themselves as, as premier interior rushers, especially in a, Leonard Williams shooting. just got 19, right? Right, exactly. So, I mean, you're, you're asking those guys to take below market value. And I, and I don't think they'd want to do that. So uh, unless one of them compromises and gets maybe a little bit like longer term or more guarantees or things of that nature, um, I, I would expect – I would expect neither of those guys. Again, it's early, right? Like we don't really know um, how this is going to play out. But when I when I think about John Allen, also like he was supposed to be a top five pick and he fell because of arthritic shoulders. I think that you've got to you've got to also weigh in that factor. Can you give that guy a five year deal? And I don't I don't mean to disparage John Allen, right? Because he's missed what one game in in four years. I mean that guy has been so reliable um, and, and really a really productive, I think, elite presence in there. Um, 
but you got to weigh those factors versus the production versus the roster construction versus everything else. And so, you know, I'm, you know, uh, I'm sure they've talked, I'm sure they've, you know, tested the waters with each other. Okay. You know, John Allen probably wants 18 or 19. I'm sure the team wants to pay 11, 12, something like that. Like it's, it's not, it's not, um, I think it's pretty apparent where both sides are. It's just, is one person going to blink? Um, is one side going to want to prioritize something else? And until, you know, until the hand is forced, maybe they franchise tag him next year because they think, uh, you know, I, there's, there's so many options on the table. It's hard to say exactly what's going to happen, but I think everybody knows where those two sides are at right now. Is it fair to say that this front office is going to be a tad bit stingier with the wallet? Um, we're, we're seeing, you know, they, they did chase Rulier, but that wasn't anything crazy. But they're not willing to set the market on players here. Uh, you have the John Allen standoff. You have the Ryan Sheriff standoff. Like, it, it, to me, it's feeling like, like, like we want you back, but we're not going to set new highs in signing bringing anybody back is, is am i wrong in seeing in, in feeling that way i think when you look at this organization's history over the last 20 years going back to dion right or, or going to uh you know most recently landon collins i think those days of opening the wallet because dan snyder is enamored with you is you know so far i think this regime has shown to be a little bit more disciplined with the wallet. So I think that read is probably a correct. All right, Sam, we've got one day left. What is your best guess for what Washington does at 19 tomorrow? If Washington doesn't move up for a quarterback and if they don't move down because the players that they like are not available, if they stay at 19 and I'm going to, I'm going to pretend that some of the top tier guys like, Penn State linebacker Micah Parsons are not available. If we're talking about the guys that are expected to be in range, uh, I think Jeremiah Owusu-Kamora or the, the Notre Dame linebacker or TCU safety Trevon Morig, I think those are two guys that, that would really stand out to me and would really help solidify uh, this defense. And, and when we talk about, you know, when we talk about what this defense could be, I think those two guys would go a long way uh, particularly Owusu Kamara or, or Zayvon Collins out of Tulsa. I think those three names are circled on, on my draft sheet on, on what I would expect them to do at that position. Sam, we thank you for your time today. You know, I know it's very, very busy for you right now. Let the people know where they can find you and, you know, what you have coming up next. Of course, uh, I'm on Twitter at Sam, the number four TR, uh, at S-A-M, the number four TR. And you can always follow uh, – the work of myself and my colleague, Nikki Javala and uh, Les Carpenter at WashingtonPost.com, uh, Washington football team. We, we've, uh, we've got a lot of good stuff up there on the pre-draft. We've got a lot of, we're going to have a lot of good analysis during uh, the draft as well, talking about how these players fit and what they could do the next day, the next round, uh, depending on uh, where everybody else gets picked up. So uh, appreciate, appreciate everyone following along. Sam, what are you going? You going to be able to get a break after this draft? What's your schedule look like after? Because I know you've been busy here for a while. Yeah, I mean we're gonna have uh, mini camps. We're gonna have everything going on. So 
you know, I, I know the league takes a, a little bit of a break uh, June to mid-July right before camp. So that's probably when I'm going to gonna take some time. But uh, until then, uh, I'm fascinated to see how this team is going to build for the fall. Appreciate you, Sam. Of Thank course. You. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Have a good one.